This is the Savvy Philanthropist Podcast. My name's Kirk. We are a financial planning podcast for people who want to do philanthropy well. Whether you're a donor trying to do some good in the world, or you're a development officer trying to connect resources with the people who need them, this podcast is all about how to navigate our U.S. legal and financial system in order to make the greatest philanthropic impact you can. This is episode 10, Following the Mohammeds. Last week I told you the story of Joseph and Shirley Mohammed. And at the end of that episode, I promised that this week we'd talk about how charities manage donated funds. Well, I got some pretty interesting feedback from last week's discussion, so I decided to bump the schedule back a week and instead do a little follow-up with the Mohammeds. If you recall, Joseph and Shirley Mohammed donated about $20 million of real estate to charity, but they didn't quite follow the rules for reporting the gift, and so they were not allowed to take a charitable deduction for their gift. This stuck them with an unexpected tax bill of several million dollars despite their obvious philanthropic intent. In general, the feedback I got was that people were justifiably a bit irritated that the Mohammeds got nailed so hard by the legal system. Why couldn't the court, or the IRS for that matter, just let them update the paperwork or something and let them get the tax benefit of their philanthropy? Great question. Today, I'm going to dig into that question a bit. There's actually a bit more to the story than I included last week, but I'm going to run through it here and see where we end up. As mentioned last week, Mr. Mohammed completed the required appraisals of his real estate himself. He was a certified real estate appraiser, so he was perfectly qualified to do the work. However, as he found out later, IRS regulations required that the appraisal be done by someone not the donor, for the obvious reason that the donor had a personal interest in the appraised value. But the appraisal was not the only item that Mr. Mohammed handled himself. He also prepared his own tax return, including the form for reporting his charitable gift. We'll certainly talk more about this topic in future episodes, but when a donor makes a large gift to charity that's not cash, for example, real estate, the donor has to include a Form 8283 with his tax return. This form reports the facts of the gift, and the appropriate appraisal has to be included. Among other things, Mr. Mohammed completed this Form 8283 himself. The problem is, he didn't complete it correctly. One of the significant issues in the court opinions was Mr. Mohammed's argument that the form was actually poorly written and confusing. He argued that he was a perfectly capable and experienced professional, and he had followed the confusing instructions as well as anyone else would, so if he had misunderstood them, it was the fault of the IRS, and he shouldn't be punished for it. To be honest, the court agreed with him to a certain degree, acknowledging that the form could have been clear. However, the court also pointed out that right at the top of Form 8283, there's a line that says, See Separate Instructions, and Mohammed's admitted that they had not looked at those. Hmm. So as I discussed last week, the big issue in the case was whether donors have to strictly follow the rules when taking charitable deductions. And that answer is yes, the rules have to be followed exactly. However, the subtext in this case was the extent to which a donor's best efforts might have been good enough to show that he really was trying to do it right. A couple of different listeners were quite bothered that the court didn't make allowance for honest mistakes. This was certainly an argument made by the Mohammeds. They argued for an exception for what they called substantial compliance. Basically, they wanted the court to rule that a donor who tried his best to satisfy the confusing rules and got really close except for the occasional honest mistake should be granted the right to fix the minor issues and still qualify for the charitable deduction. To be perfectly honest, the court certainly could have done that. Courts throughout the country have adopted versions of this rule in a million different contexts, and it would not have been terribly difficult to find a different result in this case. Unfortunately, the court opted not to not to do that, and strict compliance remains the rule for charitable donations. If I'm pushed on this issue, I probably think a substantial compliance approach would be more consistent with the whole point of charity 
But like I said, that's not the choice the court made. There is, however, one other point I think is worth making here. It might ruffle a few feathers, but I think it's important to chew on as we wade through the thick muck of the U.S. tax code. It's the issue of hiring experts to help manage these issues. In this case, the Mohammeds were in a financial position such that they were able to donate about $20 million of real estate to charity. Clearly, they were people of substantial means. For whatever reason, Mr. Mohammed chose not to hire an accountant to prepare his tax return, presumably one who would have been familiar with the charitable deduction rules. That would have probably cost him a couple thousand dollars, a fee he could clearly afford, but he chose not to. That choice resulted in legal fees that probably approached six figures, not to mention the loss of multiple million dollars in tax savings. Looking at this situation, it's not hard to think that he might have been better off to pay a few thousand dollars in the first place and avoid the massive costs later. Obviously, we're looking at this in retrospect, and in the age of TurboTax, plenty of people, including yours truly, handle things like their taxes on their own. Sometimes it's the right move. But sometimes it's sort of an ideological choice, something like, I shouldn't have to pay someone to push paper around. However, I think it's worth considering when it might make sense to lean on the expertise of professionals for navigating charitable giving issues, or lots of other legal or accounting issues for that matter. In a case like the Mohammeds, there were quite a few legal and financial steps in their giving. They needed someone to draft a charitable remainder trust. They needed someone to draft the deeds, transferring the real estate to the trust. They needed qualified appraisals of the real estate. They needed to file their own tax returns, and their trust was going to need a tax return filed every year. In theory, the Mohammeds could have done each of those steps themselves. I don't actually know anything beyond the events described in the court case, but my guess is that they hired lawyers or accountants for some of those steps. At least I hope so. And that's the takeaway I'll leave you with here. In some cases, it's worth paying professionals to get things done right the first time, both for the benefit of the donors, but also for the benefit of the charities the donors are trying to help. It obviously depends on the situation, but like I said, it's something donors should bear in mind. Sometimes the smart move is to lean on the expertise of professionals, even in the age of TurboTax. By the way, I also wanted to pass on a bit of news. Last week I had the chance to speak to the staff of a large university foundation. I was giving an introduction to the basics of charitable planned giving, and it was a lot of fun. The feedback I got suggested that the folks there found some value in the discussion too. If you know of an organization that is looking for a speaker or trainer about charitable and planned giving, let me know. I'm always looking for opportunities to talk about my favorite topics. If you're enjoying this podcast, be sure to click subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. If you know other people who might find this podcast worthwhile, please share it on your social media platform of choice. And if you're feeling particularly generous, a rating or review for the show on whatever podcast service you use would really help to get the word out about the show. You can find The Savvy Philanthropist on the internet at thesavvyphilanthropist.podbean.com. You can find me at LinkedIn at the link below in the show notes. You can follow me on Twitter where I am at RossPlan. And if you have any ideas, suggestions, or helpful insights, feel free to email me at thesavvyphilanthropist at gmail.com. That's it for episode 10. Thanks for listening. Next week, we're going to talk a little bit about two basic ways charities manage donated funds, depending on what the donor wants to accomplish. And this time, I mean it. Until then, remember, do well, then do good, but always be savvy.